Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. My name is Brian, and alongside is Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing real well. It's uh, like we're having a, a good, good session ahead of us tonight. Yeah, really looking forward to it. In fact, Alan Hitchin has joined us, and uh, Alan, certainly great to have you with us again. It's really good to be back. I'm looking forward to the material tonight. I think it'll be really helpful to our listeners. So in today's podcast, we're going to continue our kind of mini-series, if you will, on love, and specifically the attributes of love that God teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7. through 7. What we started with in the last podcast was Alan felt it was necessary before we really dive into each of these attributes of love to first understand this new commandment that Jesus gave us around agape love, which is a divine love that we get from heaven. So, Alan, to continue on with what we were talking about last week, uh, you want to go ahead and give our listeners a summary of what you covered, and then we'll talk about today's material. Yeah, in our last podcast, we discovered that God is love and that the love that God has manifested to the world is a, an unselfish desire to lift us and help us and it is so foreign to man's character and that's really what I wanted to emphasize last week and I also wanted to emphasize it this week and, and let's look at it like this when God put Adam and Eve in the garden they were carbon copies of God they were created in his image and after his likeness. They thought like he thought. Their emotions were like his emotions. Their desires to help other people and to be a, a blessing to everyone just as God was. And then Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at that moment, their eyes were open. They understood good and evil. And they understood what it feels like to selfishly do something that harms another. Because that's what they did to God. God created the heavens and the earth. He warned them that they would ruin everything. That they would actually die. That there would be such a disconnect between what they were and what they would become. And of course God already knew and already had the plan of salvation ready. Because once Adam and Eve chose to do that, uh, terrible things happened. And it doesn't take long. It's, it amazes me when I think about the fact that it's just one generation from Adam and Eve, perfect and pure and loving and holy in the Garden of Eden, to Cain killing Abel. It just happens so quickly. And the gap between God's love and man's selfishness, you can't better illustrate it than Cain rising up and killing his brother, taking his life. And that is how far we have fallen from this concept of living to help others, to be a blessing to others, to allow others to enjoy what they have while we enjoy what we have, and not to want to take from others. The whole purpose of you shall not covet is to keep us from harming our neighbor by wanting something that he has. And so the unselfish care and concern that sent Jesus to this world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
and the love that Jesus had, greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. So when we talk about this type of love, it is purely unselfish and it is divine in its characteristics. And Jesus came to this earth really, I believe, for two purposes. The first purpose, of course, and the one we most often talk about is he died on the cross to shed his blood and to bring us back into fellowship with God. But the second thing that he did is he came to this earth to show us what this new love would be. So through the centuries after Cain killed Abel, and of course within ten generations, we read about Noah's generation where every thought to the man's hearts were only evil continually and the earth was filled with violence and the gap between the loving God and the love that we were, were to share with one another living in a, in a world where there was no harm, no violence, no care or concern. You didn't have to worry about anybody wanting to take what you had or taking what you had. And by the time Jesus enters the world, man is completely forgotten. I mean, the, the whole concept of living your life to serve and help other people was so foreign that this word that we've come to know, agape love, it's not even found. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, all of the, the philosophers and poets that were writing about different things that they thought were important, agape never reached that list. Agape was a, a word that they really felt was a weakness. Why would anyone who is strong and powerful want to sacrifice himself for someone else? And why would we not want to take, if we're stronger, why wouldn't we want to take whatever we want from other people? And that was their norm. And that was the norm for the Romans, that was the norm for the Greeks, for the Babylonians, for the Assyrians, even for Israel. And of course, I, I guess we could say it's certainly the norm today that man tends to think only of what is in his best interest. Well, Jesus came down here to teach us otherwise. He came down to teach us that love would and could make us like God. And he brought color and texture and, and the ability for us to see how this love works in action. I'm amazed sometimes as I watch his disciples interacting with him and how frustrating it must have been. And yet we never see an angry word. We never see anything but him setting aside and taking the time to help them. And so Jesus' mission was to help us better understand this love. And that's what we want to develop in our podcast today. Yeah, I appreciate those points, Alan, especially kind of helping our listeners and all of us to understand that mankind left to his own devices tends to move away from things like love and more towards selfishness. And, you know, as you were going through that, I was thinking about when God destroyed the earth with the flood, it was because man had reached the point where the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And so I think we all can certainly see that that's a lack of love. And as you pointed out early on, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that we were made in God's image and in his likeness. And so left up to our own devices for whatever reason, I guess it's also kind of like Ecclesiastes 7.29, right? God made, us, made man upright, but he sought out many schemes. So we all tend to become selfish. 
in the absence of understanding and appreciating God's principles and how he created us. And so when we think about, you know, one verse that Jesus gave, one statement that he made of many when he was here on this earth, he talks about in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as we'll get more into, and as you touched on, Alan, we're just kind of briefly reviewing what we studied last time. This is really the center of 1 Corinthians 13, this type of love and understanding all of the characteristics that make up this type of love. So appreciate those thoughts. And uh, Jeff, I'll pass it over to you. Well, and as we look through, you know, the New Testament and, you know, the use of this word and the different contexts in, in which it's used, we see there's like a couple different directions, if you will, that this love is supposed to take us. Uh, you know, first of all, we're supposed to learn, you know, how to truly love God, which in some ways that's kind of easier because of what he's done for us. But yet at the same time, uh, we've also have scriptures that talk about us needing to love our fellow disciples, which eh, in some ways that'd be, uh, you know, relatively easier since we have, you know, similar background and interests. But also uh, verses that talk about us, you know, needing to love our neighbor and even some that talk about, you know, loving our enemies. So, you know, th this love is kind of like all comprehensive, you know, trying to take us in multiple directions. You know, one verse I'm kind of thinking of is over in Matthew chapter 22, beginning roughly with verse 37, where you know, Jesus is, I think, if I remember correctly, the context answering one of the questions from the audience, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. And, you know, certainly, you know, Jesus is referring back to, you know, things that are recorded in uh, Deuteronomy and in the law of Moses. But yet at the same time, we're, you know, dealing with universal truths. And one thing I kind of like about this particular verse is it gives us a little bit of insight into this love that, you know, we should have toward, you know, God in particular with, you know, with all of our heart and soul and mind. And I think there's, you know, another parallel verse that adds as a fourth clarification that, you know, our, our whole entire being should have this kind of attitude, you know, toward this, this kind of agape love, if you will. And as was, you know, mentioned in that particular scripture, you know, this particular command, you know, loving Lord your God, loving your neighbor, you know, really everything else, generally speaking, uh, you know, under the uh, you know, old covenant, under the Old Testament, uh, under the law of Moses, but pretty much were, you know, derived from that or built on top of it or, you know, however you want to uh, characterize it. So certainly a very, very important uh, concept that we need to kind of wrap our heads around. As, as we said, starting off, uh, somewhat challenging to us because when we talk about love, you know, we think in terms of romantic love and St. Valentine's Day and etc. But this is far, far beyond that. Yeah, Jeff, that is, it is just so true that the disconnect 
between what I mean when I say I love and what God means when he says you, you're, you need to love are so divergent. Uh, we, see, we hear so many people today who uh, find a law in God's word that would hinder them in, in their relationship that they want. For example, if they've married and they're not happy in their marriage, and yet Jesus said that whoever divorces his wife for any other reason than fornication and marries another is committing adultery. But their answer to that is, I think God wants me to be happy. And the reality is that we should want to make God happy by keeping his commandments. And so all the laws in the Old Testament, and I think all the laws in the New Testament also, can be summarized under the heading of, I love God, I want to make God happy, I want to sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice for him, I want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, I want him to be pleased and happy with me because I love him. And I want him to, again, I want to be like him. I think the progression, if you look at uh, the, the passages we just looked at in John, in John 13, 35, love one another as I have loved you. Then in John 14, 15, which is just a few verses ahead of that, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he keeps emphasizing that. We read verse 15, now in verse 21 of chapter 14, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. So you see the wonderful uh, fruits of this agape love. Uh, the next verse, which is also <clears throat> in uh, John, and this time we're in chapter 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, that's a very profound statement, because what Jesus is saying here is the reason that I never sinned, the reason that I never, ever violated any of God's laws. I didn't violate love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. I didn't violate love your neighbor as yourself. I never took anything, I never wanted to take anything that belongs to another. And that's how I abided in my Father's love. I acted in the best interests of all the people, my God and my neighbor, and I abided in his love. And I'm now sinless, and I'm now prepared to die for the sins of all the world. Now, I have an opportunity. If you keep my commandments, then you can abide in my love. So by me acting in his best interests, he can act in my best interests. But if I violate his law, then I put him in the position where he has to punish me. That is the nature of righteousness. When we violate someone else's rights, then punishment has to be given. In the Ten Commandments, we see what Jesus is referring to. Love the Lord your God would be, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, you shall have no graven image. You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain, and you shall remember my Sabbaths and keep them holy. That's how I manifest my love, my care, my concern for God. Then he goes on uh, where he talks about, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet. These commands, and bear false witness, these commands don't need to be there 
if we have agape love, because we would never want to do that. We would never want to take something that belongs to somebody else. So these commandments help us to see the direction. And yes, God wants me to be happy, but not at the, not at the cost of making someone else unhappy, not at the cost of, of disappointing God and forcing God into the situ- a situation where he has to condemn us. Uh, that's not love. God certainly wants me to be happy, but he wants me to learn how to be happy, helping other people, sacrificing for other people, giving up our desires if they take from someone else. And so these are critical things that we have to learn if we're going to get back to the image and the likeness of God. And sadly, many of the things that I'm saying now are just completely foreign to people. This idea that we should sacrifice for others is about as foreign to many today as it was in the original time when Jesus came. Yeah, that's such an important point. And, you know, just speaking uh, about the country we live in here in the United States, we, we see this more and more, right, where people are more isolated, people seem to be more selfish. And so I pre- appreciate the emphasis, Alan, that you're putting on, you know, loving our neighbor as ourselves. In fact, there's one passage I'll just read here that kind of sums up the type of attitude that we should have towards our neighbors and our atti- the attitude that we should have towards, you know, all other men in general. And that's found over in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And so this kind of, Jeff goes right along with what Alan's been saying, right? And we said in our last podcast, this is that kind of foundational mindset and quality that we need to have. Well, exactly. Well, and and because it is so foundational and so important, that's, that's why we're kind of spending at least, you know, two podcasts on trying to probe into it and bring to our listeners the uh, i don't want to say subtle but the the, the very different um, meaning that this concept of this term this love this agape love has for us you know you were talking about some uh, a verse that sums up one i've got one here as well where you know the apostle john sometimes called the disciple of love you know, kind of sums up to some degree, you know, the love that God has for us, the love we should have for him, the love we should have for our, you know, fellow disciples, our neighbors, even our enemies. First John chapter four, uh, let's say beginning verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. As we've kind of been trying to summarize, you know, putting the interests and needs of the other, you know, equal to and above, you know, our own, you know, seeking what's best for the other person. And whether that's when we come to, you know, worship God, when 
you know, we're, we're dealing with our fellow brethren, you know, neighbors, coworkers, friends, etc. you know, putting their, their interests, especially spiritual interests first. Yeah, guys, this is exactly what our listeners need to be brought face to face with. You can't teach someone something unless you have some way to make a comparison. For example, how would you teach someone who's blind the distinctions of colors? We can point to the color. We can tell our children that's blue or that's red or that's green, and they will associate that. But how do you do that with someone who's blind? Or how do you teach someone who's deaf how to distinguish between sounds and what sounds are? And the same thing is true with this agape love. This is a characteristic. We were born in selfishness. We watch our parents treat each other selfishly from time to time. We watch our friends and our loved ones. We, we do not see. We have no way to compare. That's why Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So now I have a point of comparison. Now I have someone who is completely unselfish, someone who manifests the love of God toward God and toward his fellow man. And now I have an opportunity to to learn from that. You know, Paul really made that very clear in Philippians chapter 2. And I'd like to share that with our listeners where he talks about the relationship that we have. And so in in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, he says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he takes us back into heaven. He doesn't start with Jesus on earth. He takes us all the way back into heaven. He said he was existing in the form of God. You know, John emphasized that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made through him. And so he was dwelling on an equality with God. He was uh, existing in the form of God. But he didn't count that something to cling to When the time came to come into this earth as a human being and to suffer and die on the cross, he did that, and he did that for us. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't do it for God in the the strictest sense of the terms. They didn't need any of these things, except that's what they needed if they were going to help us. If they were going to give that agape love to us, then Jesus had to make that sacrifice. And so when it says, when Paul says, have this mind in you, it's going to require two things. First of all, I've got to figure out what exactly was going on in Jesus' mind when he willingly sacrificed himself, left heaven, left the glory, left the comfort, left the ease in order to come to this sin-cursed world, take on a human body, and die for our sins. And once we understand that, then we can go back and see what Paul said earlier, which is, make full my joy. Now we're starting in verse 2. Make full my joy that you be of the same mind, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So I want to help you. You want to help me. If I want to help you and you selfishly say, well, that's great. I, I think you should help me as much as you can, but we're not giving anything back then we're not learning. Sometimes uh, a wife will serve her husband and do all sorts of things for the husband instead of the husband turning around and showing his love and his appreciation by helping his wife. He simply takes what she gives him and he doesn't grow. 
So when verse 3, he says, doing nothing through faction or through vainglory or pride and a desire to put ourselves first, but in humility and lowliness of mind, each counting others better than himself. I can't think of a better definition, a better working definition than this. Other people are better than me. Their needs are as important as my needs, and I cannot violate, I cannot take from them. Whether it be gossip or lying, whether it be stealing or coveting, whether it be adultery or murder, we're taking something from someone. Don't consider others beneath you. Consider others better than yourself. Then verse 4, not looking only to your own things, but also to the things of others. In other words, people have needs. Everyone has the same needs that I have. <clears throat> they, get, they get hungry, they get thirsty, they get lonely, they have needs, and I exist to help them with those needs, not to take what they have for my needs. But as I say, it's a concept that's very foreign to people. I mean, think what would happen to road rage if we all love one another and we all turn the other cheek and we all manifested this tremendous desire to be helpful to others and to sacrifice for others. And so the concept of agape love is so important because this is God's character. It's Jesus' character. God is love. It doesn't say he has love. He is love. It is the foundation of his being, and it needs to become the foundation of our being. Think of how different the world would be if everyone had this love. There would be no stealing, no, no murder, no lying, no adultery, no coveting. This would be a paradise, which is why heaven will be a paradise, because in heaven, everyone's going to have this love. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, Alan, I think we could all also agree that if we show the type of love that you're talking about here towards others, then more often than not, people are going to reciprocate, right? They see and appreciate the kindness and love that we're showing, and they themselves will want to do the same. And we see that even for people who may not necessarily be spiritually minded per se, just people that you come across every day. When you're kind and loving, hold the door for them, whatever it might be, they often reciprocate. And we see God's wisdom in here. In fact, you know, as we now dive a little bit deeper into some of these key attributes of agape love for our listeners, if you have your Bibles handy, and you may have already been turning over to the passages we've been talking about, that's great. Let's take a look now at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is really where we want to do a little bit of a deeper dive, if you will, because in this section of Scripture, God gave us what we might call a map to kind of chart our progress with, and you know, kind of assess if we're showing the type of love, agape love, that we've been talking about. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, God gives us these key attributes that we can gauge our map or assess ourselves against to see how good of a job we're doing and showing the type of love that God wants us to show. So here it says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, 
does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. So, Alan, this is a wonderful list that kind of, in a very broad manner, helps us to understand how intricate and detailed, if you will, agape love can be and how you know it covers many spectrums or covers the entire spectrum i guess i should say of our lives if you will yeah brian that's that's exactly correct and what god has done here he's given me an inspired definition of agape love you know sometimes i'll go to webster's dictionary somebody will use a word and i don't really know exactly what it means so i might google it on the internet and find a definition or something because as i say some words are they have a very specific meaning but agape love which i said earlier was not really considered a a virtue but a character flaw by the greek poets greek philosophers the greek aristocracy they didn't see this they didn't feel like this was something that was worth having it was something that was useless is how they looked at it and so when we understand this then we have to start assessing our character by these specific points that are mentioned here and there's actually if you if you put a number to each one there's 16 of them suffer long is one kind is two doesn't envy is three does it parade itself as four, is not puffed up as five, does not behave rudely, would be six. Number seven, does not seek its own. Number eight, is not provoked. Number nine, thinks no evil. Ten, is don't, doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Eleven, is rejoicing, it rejoices in the truth. Twelve, bears all things. Thirteen, believes all things. Fourteen, hopes all things. 15, endures all things. And then 16, it never fails. It doesn't exhaust. It, it, it will never be, you will never reach your end with it. And so here we have 16 qualities. And now I have my marching orders. If I'm going to love as God loves, if I'm going to keep Jesus' new commandment to love one another as, as he loved us, then these 16 distinct qualities are going to be the things that are going to make me the man that I need to be, make someone else the woman that she needs to be, make a wife or a husband or a parent or a child or a co-worker or a boss or uh, the checker at the, uh, at the market or the person that's hindering me in some way or another. And here I have these 16 qualifications or 16 characteristics of of this agape love. This is God. God is love. So these 16 characteristics, if we want to think about God, this is uh, how God acts. This is how God treats angels. It's how God treats man. It's, it's how God lives his life. It's an eternal being who has never changed and has these qualifications or these characteristics. You know, I don't know how familiar our listeners are with Paul's, you know, first letter to the Corinthians. But in some ways, I would encourage them to sort of, um, you know, go back at the very least and sort of skim through, you know, first Corinthians and kind of get a sense of the context for chapter 13. 
because if they'll do that, they'll notice that uh, the Corinthians had a major challenge with this concept of love. I mean, in some ways they were, you know, fussing with each other, fighting with each other. They were divided. They were prideful. You know, they held, you know, one kind of spiritual gift, you know, if, for the for the people that had that gift. Well, that was great and wonderful. But the other gifts were like, eh, well, you know, whatever, who cares? But and right in the middle of that particular, you know, discussion of spiritual gifts, chapter, you know, 12, 13 and 14. You know, Paul, to some ways, says, hey, guys, you know, there, there's something far greater than what you guys have been, you know, fussing over. And that's what we're referring to here with this concept of love. And so instead of, you know, lifting yourself up and saying, well, you know, I was baptized by Paul or I was baptized by Apollos or, you know, I got the gift of tongues and you only have the gift of interpretation or whatever the case may be, uh, that you really need to be more other-centered, uh, you know, less selfish, less self-centered. And, 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 you know, as we're kind of you know, talking here today, you know, gives, as you said, in the middle of, uh, of the chapter 12, 13, 14, gives this uh, checklist, if you will, of things that we can look at in contrast to our lives to see if we have the kind of love that God would, would want us to have. You know, Alan, there's another kind of an interesting uh, thought that is, as we kind of look through the 16 that you outlined, it's interesting that there's kind of a, a, I guess I could say a balance, as in there are some things that we should do and some things that we shouldn't do. And I don't know if it's, you know, mathematically correct, but it's roughly 50-50. You know, here are the things you need to do that you actively need to do. Here are some things you actively need to avoid doing. You know, the do's and the don'ts, uh, so to speak, because, you know, as you said, you know, there, we need to be, you know, suffering and kind and rejoicing. We need to be bearing all things and believing things and, you know, hoping all things and enduring, etc. And at the same time, we better be avoiding, you know, do not do, you know, do not envy, parade yourself, be puffed up, behave rudely, you know, you know, seek our own. Uh, you know, our own specific desires, you know, not be provoked, not thinking evil, not rejoicing in iniquity. So there's kind of, you know, positives and negatives to, to uh, you know, challenge ourselves with. Yeah, Jeff, that's a very important observation that we have things we shouldn't do and things that we should do. I'd like to take our listeners over to Romans for just a moment in chapter 13 and just read through a passage here. Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he that loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is summed up in this word. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill or no evil to his neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Now, if we plug in our definition here that we're always patient and we're always kind and that we, we are not easily provoked and we are not proud or arrogant, then we will be able to see clearly enough to fulfill the commandments of the law, 
and, and I really appreciate the Holy Spirit's observation here that uh, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet. And if there be any other commandment about how we should treat one another, it is summed up. Love your neighbor as yourself. So now I have my marching orders. When I look at these uh, 16 qualities, and I would recommend them, our listeners actually do that. Sit down and write these things down, 1 through 16, and then circle the ones that you're really good at or that you are, that is this character strength that you already have, and then also circle those that are the ones that are your character flaws and your character weaknesses. This is what leads people to divorce. This is what leads people to hate their family, hate their mother and father, or despise their children. This is what people don't have when they feel like an abortion, which will solve all of their problems and yet create horrible problems for our new baby. Uh, And the natural affection that Paul talks about, without natural affection, is one of the qualities of worldly people. But those of us with agape love, we could not do anything to harm another individual. And that is our mandate. So, Brian, you have anything before we move into the actual definitions of all these words? Uh, Yeah, I just have one suggestion for our listeners. You know, sometimes when we look at the English words that are translated in our Bibles, it doesn't always convey accurately what the original word meant in Greek. So, Alan, I was wondering if you could just spend a minute talking about how there can be great value when we access an expository dictionary to help us fully understand what the original Greek intended to convey to us. If you have the money and you have access to it, I would certainly recommend that you get a copy of Vine's expository dictionary of Bible words, because for the most part, Vine is a very unbiased and honest scholar who will give you a good clear definition of those words so and there's others out there they're a little more difficult to use but that's clarity you know understanding words is like taking your window that is so dirty you can't see out of it and taking the windex or taking the soap and rinsing that window until it's perfectly clear that's what we have to do with these words sometimes the words are so obscure and so unused or something that's used in the scriptures that is used differently and we don't have a clear picture for example the first word there patient love is patient or some have love suffers long well that's a very important word it's literally it's a it's a compound word and what it means is that i keep my anger frustration bitterness desire to hurt desire to harm desire to take vengeance and i push those emotions that make me want to go in that direction and i push them so far away that i can't get there so when my kids are exasperating, I can't lash out because I've pushed those emotions so far away that, they, that I can't reach them. And the reason I don't need to reach them is because when I show my impatience, when I, know, when I show my frustration, when I start yelling or screaming or being rude or short or curt, and what's happened? Well, agape love is gone. 
I've moved into selfishness again. It's only selfishness that allows me to think that my time or my moods or my emotions are so important that when you don't do what I think you should do or you don't treat me the way I think you should treat me, I'm going to lash out. Well, this long-suffering won't let that happen. You can't do that if you have this long-suffering attitude. Jeff, what do you think of that? Well, as you said, the focus should be on doing for others and not, you know, it's all about me. You know, as we've been talking, I've, I've been kind of thinking about, you know, at least with infants, for instance, you know, it's all about them, regardless of what anyone else is doing day or night. The infant is, and of course, it's built into them as part of survival. You know, if they're hungry, if they're thirsty, if they're tired, you know, they're going to be crying. And, you know, it's, it's me, 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 me. And honestly, you know, with, with a young infant, that's, that's understandable. The problem is, it was when the young infant becomes an adult and that same attitude is still there and they don't get their way, which we see with a lot of adults, unfortunately, you know, they do want to lash out. They do want to, you know, scream out, you know, if we're talking a political realm or whatever the case may be. But uh, that indeed we need to, to tame that, if you will, or bring that into submission, so to speak. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking as you were talking about it, the, the idiom that we have in our world today, which is you're just a big baby. And well, what do we mean by they're a big baby? Is you are acting selfishly and disruptively because you want to get your way. And so it's the, I'm going to take my marbles and go home. That, that's, was the, that's how we used it when I was a young boy, that we would play games. But if you didn't act the way I expected you to act, I'm just going to grab everything and I'm going home. And that, that's the end of it. And so uh, we have a lot of that in the world today. A lot of people who think that the world is mine. The world revolves around me. I, I look at these people who kill other people or they commit adultery with different people. They try to corrupt people. They try to damage them, using them for their own selfish desires and not even thinking about the pieces that are left behind after we do some of those things to so many other people. And every sin does that. It takes something. If you steal someone's car, it's going to have an impact. It's going to have a big impact on a lot of people. And when we break into somebody's home, when we hurt someone, when we punch someone in the nose, everything that we do that is not in uh, a love, a care, and a concern, it's a serious situation. And so love is going to suffer long. But then the next one that he talks about is love is kind. That's the second positive one. Love is kind. And the word kindness in the original language, it might be a little different than our listeners are thinking about because it means to show oneself mild, to be someone who is pleasant and not harsh, not hard, not sharp or bitter. We've all been around people that every time you say something, they come back at you. It's an attack. It's a, well, that was a dumb thing to say, or that's not true, or they're not kind. They're not people who are pleasant and benevolent. Uh, God is kind to people because he lets his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. And God is a kind God, and we need to imitate him with that. Uh, Brian, you have any other thoughts on that? 
Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, Strong's also adds to show oneself useful. And as you mentioned, you know, i.e. act benevolently. It's also interesting that that word kind, if you tell children, be kind one to another, right? Or even ourselves, we know based on how God created us, what kindness looks like. But I feel like all of us, no doubt Christians or not, can easily lose sight of that, right? If we become emotional or if we become agitated about something, it's very easy not to be kind. And so even though we understand that, God created us to understand that, it's easy to get away from that, right? When emotion and other factors can come into our lives. So we certainly have to be careful about that. Yeah, and that's that's just so true. All of us need to look within and try to be people who are patient. Try to be people that are kind. The next one is not jealous. Is and It's an interesting word. It's the Greek word zealous, from which we get the words zealous. And a zealous person is someone who puts in a lot of effort and energy to be successful and to help other people. But that same emotion can go in a negative direction. When uh, somebody is uh, in a situation where they're in our way or they are someone who is better than we are. And there's two ways to approach it. We can take that as a challenge and try to lift ourselves up to their level, or we can try to drag them down to ours. And one is a, is a good thing. The one is a tremendously good thing. But the other one is to burn with zeal, to be moved with envy and hatred and anger. That's the definition of this side of that character. And it's so different. If you, if you look at, uh, there's a passage in James that I always think about when I think about jealousy. Let's look at us in James chapter 3 and verse 13 through 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good works his deeds which are done in gentleness of wisdom. There's that word gentleness, uh, which is like kindness. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. I think when we think about jealousy and the next one, which is being proud and arrogant, we we need to understand that these are destructive emotions. These are not emotions that are going to make it enjoyable to be in your family or to be in your neighborhood or to be at your workplace or in the church. These qualities are destructive and disruptive. Jeff, you have anything on that? Oh, and I kind of liked your contrast you gave about wanting to bring the other down. You know, in the sense of, you know, if I'm a student making mediocre grades in school and someone else in the class is like making good grades, or, you know, I'm at work and the other person gets a raise or a promotion or a nice assignment or, you know, something nice happens to someone else, whatever that might be. And 
unfortunately sometimes you know our reaction might be well you know that's just not fair you know that's something i should have it's not good that they got it and also now i'm going to do whatever i can to now who knows going from working from there starts building on top of one another like you know if i every chance i have i'm going to badmouth them i'm going to talk behind the back i'm going to sabotage what they've done you know i'm going to align other people with me to just say how you know how how bad they are etc which is totally the opposite of what true agape love would have you do in terms of you know celebrate with them or you know rejoice with them something good happened to them hey great wonderful glad to see you got it um very very stark contrast so to speak yeah jeff that is so important for our listeners to uh, recognize and deal with because it's easier to try to drag somebody down than it is to try to lift yourself up but that's the beauty of life is that when other people show us that things can be done better, we should admire them for what they're able to do, and then we should try to emulate them. That's the valuable way to approach somebody who is better than me or somebody who has better things than I do is to take steps to bring myself up to that level. Yeah, very good insights, guys. And, you know, it really kind of shows us how multifaceted that particular word is. And so this will wrap it for this second installment on the study of agape love. And in our final installment in our next podcast, we will continue taking a look at each of these characteristics of love that God gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we will pick up with how love does not parade itself and love is not puffed up. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.